I want this today to feel like a conversation. Because we're going to talk about some pretty heavy stuff. It's Sanctity of Life Sunday. Now, 44 years ago, a court of men decided that it was okay to stifle the lives of the unborn in what perhaps is among the darkest, if not the darkest moment in our nation's history. But as Christians, we don't, we don't despair when we see darkness, right? When we see darkness, we shine the light. Because darkness can't be around when the light's around, okay? So, I want this to feel like a conversation because what we're going to be talking about today is heavy and you could potentially feel pressure to behave in certain ways or to consider certain options, heavy, life-changing options. But I don't want you to feel pressure today. In fact, if you just back up a little bit and look at how we shine the light into the darkness as Christians... Today, right now, it's brilliant. Dale is a part of the Pregnancy Health Center. uh, And many of you volunteer or have volunteered at the Pregnancy Health Center. You know what they do? They sit down with mothers considering abortions and they they show them sonograms and they they plead with them, please consider, please consider this, this, this sweet, precious gift. It's beautiful. We have, today, this, this afternoon, we're celebrating uh, all of our dig teachers. We're celebrating them because they are regularly devoting themselves to the least of these. They're, they're shining the light into the darkness. They're painting a picture of how beautiful is the, the gift of life that we have in children. So, Celebrate the light, and then let's, let's look at and consider together options. There's, okay, so we've been talking in youth about um, the obedience of faith. It's a big, it's a big theme in, um, in, in Romans, the obedience of faith. There's something beautiful and simple about our faith. And that is that it's an act of imitation. We're just just following in the footsteps of Big Brother. That's our faith. Have you thought about our faith that way? We are imitating perpetually. Paul, he... uh, uh Uh-oh. Okay, we're still good. (laughs) Paul, he imitates Christ. And he says, imitate me because I'm imitating Christ. We're all just following in the footsteps of of big brother Jesus as adopted sons and daughters, okay? So what I want to do today is I want to spend some time thinking about our rescue, which is the supreme act of adoption. It is the adoption, okay? 
in the history of the world, there are a lot of adoptions, little a. There is one adoption, big A, and that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about God's work to adopt his people. And then we're going to consider the situation of orphans. Okay? We're going to think about the situation of orphans right now. And I'm going to focus primarily on America. Okay? And then I'm going to ask you a bunch of tough questions. I'm going to encourage you to consider imitating Big Brother. Okay? And then hopefully, if I can just finish in time, I want to leave just a little bit of room to pray together. I'm going to throw a bunch of options for prayer up on the screen. And I I want to pray because you can't manufacture the will to lay down your life for a child. You cannot. It is impossible. You cannot manufacture the will and energy to become an advocate for an orphan. It is impossible. The only way we can shine light in the darkness is a sweeping act of the grace of God, and that is often starts with prayer. So, everybody open your Bible to Ephesians 1, verse 5. I wish this was a little taller. That's okay. Ephesians 1, verse 5. Don't worry. I'll focus. Okay, there we go. Can everybody see that? Okay, what I want to do is I want to read it together. I'll read out loud, and I want you to read along. And then I want, I want to get four volunteers to read each section, okay? All right? Everybody there? Hold up your Bible. Awesome. In love, God predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him, we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, According to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of, his, of this will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we require possession of it. To the praise of his glory. Okay, where are my volunteers? Go. Gabe. Oh, it did not update. I'm sorry. Tech, tech difficulties. There we go. Perfect. Go. In love, God predestined us 
Okay, who's next? Go. Okay, who's next? Maybe not Abe. <laughs> who's next? Destin. In the end, we have the same inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him that works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we the universe Christ and the Okay, last one. Anybody? Keith. Oh, go ahead. In him, To the praise of His glory. Now, it's okay to say that Paul is hard to understand. In fact, Peter was the first one to say it. He said, I know you've been reading Paul's letters. It's pretty intense, huh? Okay. So, I want to try and break down the logic of this passage in two different ways. Okay? I'm going to try and, try and break down the logic of this passage by first seeing how the Father, the Son, and the Spirit orchestrate the work of adoption in our lives as His people. And then I want to, I want to back up and go 30,000 feet altitude and see how this work of adoption is the mega plan to unite all things in God, in Christ, And then I want to zoom in to the people of God and talk about how this is the hope of the people of God. Then I want to zoom in to you. Because did you see what Paul did? He said, and you also, you, reader, you also were included when you believed. Okay, so first, God chose adoption. Okay, I'm just pulling this straight from the text. All right, so you can follow along in your Bible or you can just watch this whole thing. I've heard people say before that this was uh, made them dizzy. So, <laughs> use your Bible if you want. Okay. In love, God predestined us. What does that mean? Calvinists. <laughs> what does that mean? Predestined. Decided beforehand. Pre, before, he made it our destiny. Before everything, God made it our destiny. The people of God are destined, before God started doing anything, destined us for adoption as sons through whom? Huh? Sunday school answer. Jesus Christ. He predestined us, how? According to the purpose of His will. What does that mean? Because he wanted to, right? I mean, it's a little bit more complex than that. But his predestiny, his predestination of the sons of God to be adopted was according to his purpose, his will. 
He wanted to adopt you. What a beautiful statement. And how, what is the end of this adoption? The praise of his glorious grace. All things that God does ends in the praise of his grace because he is gracious. What will you do in the new kingdom? Shout the mercies of God. You will shout the grace of God because he has poured it out on us. And how has he done it? In the beloved. The beloved son of God, Jesus. The father sent the son to rescue orphans. And Jesus gave himself up to secure adoption. Okay? In Jesus, we have redemption. How? Through his blood and according to the riches of God's grace, which he lavished upon us. I want want you to notice something before we move on. The lavishing of God's grace... And the blood of Jesus, that is one sweeping act. You can't talk about God lavishing grace on his people without talking about the Son suffering and dying and bleeding on their behalf. And that's going to be important because here, uh oh. <laughs> because it's going to be important because here in a minute we're going to talk about adoption. You ask anybody who's adopted if it's easy. Ask anybody who's, who's adopted if it's not extraordinarily painful and confusing and difficult. It's not a lifelong act of suffering. If you don't get this unity, the unity between lavishing grace and, and the blood of Christ, you will not get it if you walk in obedience. We die. We talk about We talk about how easy it is to follow Jesus and how hard it is to follow Jesus. Easy because we're trading just a blip of suffering for eternal mercy and grace and love and riches of His company. But that blip is pretty painful. At at the end of all things, it's going to seem like a blip. Right? But right now, when when you're in the mix... When you're, when you're suffering on behalf of another, that blip feels pretty painful. If you can get this lavishing grace dynamic and blood of Jesus dynamic interplay, if you can get that, maybe it'll be a bit easier when you find yourself suffering. So the Father sent the Son to rescue orphans. And the Son bought them with His blood. Father, Son, working together to rescue the people of God. And the Spirit seals the adoption of the people of God. Last dynamic in this first sort of approach. In the Spirit, or in Christ, you are also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When, uh, when you heard the word of truth, when you heard the gospel of your salvation, when you believed in Jesus, you, will, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Okay? Who is the guarantee of our inheritance? Okay? So, Father sent the Son to rescue orphans. 
All right? The Son bought those orphans with His blood. Okay? And the Spirit seals those orphans as a promise of the great riches to come. This is the story of the Gospel. The great adoption. Big A adoption. That's the story. Father sending, Son dying, Spirit sealing. And if you are in Christ, you have been a part of every single one of these acts. In fact, you're not just a part of it. This is your only hope. Our great hope is adoption. There is a lot of really... I don't want to say heady, but tough to understand predestiny, orchestration, purposes, language in this passage. If, you, if you're tripping on it, like I do, just remember that God wanted to do it. He purposed to do it from the outset. And, and that's everything that he's done in response to you is according to that purpose. Okay? Does that make sense? In Christ, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of God, who works all things according to the counsel of His will. God has been working for your adoption from the outset. Okay? So that we, corporately, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of His glory. And you also, when you heard and believed, were sealed as a guarantee. A guarantee of what? A guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Are we tracking? That's the story of the Gospel. This Trinitarian work to adopt the people of God is your only hope. Let's back up and, and talk about this hope as a hope of all creation. Paul says God lavished upon us the riches of His grace in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things, to unite all things in Christ. Things in heaven and things on earth. Okay? Adoption is the hope. It is the original plan. It is the rescue plan unfolding for all things. Okay? Now, if you zoom in a little bit closer, you'll see that it's also the hope of God's people. Okay? In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to God's purpose, who, are, who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. It is the hope of God's people. But it's not just the hope of God's people. It is not just the hope of Christians generally. Adoption is your hope. In Him, you also. You. You also. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, when you heard the gospel of your salvation, when you believed in Jesus, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. 
Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it? So, adoption. The capital A adoption, that adoption is your hope individually. It is our hope corporately. And it is all creation's hope to be united in Christ. Okay? Now, why have I reread this passage about four times now? Oh. There we are. Why would I spend so much time rereading? Hmm? If our only hope, if our greatest hope is adoption, and we've been asked as obedient, imitating sons and daughters to shout about that hope, to, to embody that hope, to paint a picture for all to see of that hope, that great hope of adoption. I want to spend a minute talking about orphans. Okay, now, this is where it gets a little heavy. And this is where you have to be disciplined to not despair in the darkness, but to see the light working. I will tell you, I did some research for this thing, as you'll see here in a minute. And uh, what's funny is you, if you type in Google Christians and adoption, you get two things. You get websites written by Christians encouraging other Christians to adopt. And then you get news articles. Salon. Huffington Post. These news articles are saying Christians need to stop adopting so much. I'm not kidding. It's everywhere. Brett and I talked about it this week because he's, he's encountered four or five different fronts of this message. Christians need to stop adopting orphans. They're telling orphans to believe in Jesus and those orphans don't need to be indoctrinated. Next step in logic. We'd rather them be orphans than Christians. Interesting. So, but that's the white, bright, white light hope. We are. We are being obedient right now as believers. In America, there's a movement because it's reacting to obedience. So don't despair in what I'm about to tell you, but let it drive obedience. Let it drive confidence in God and hope in the new kingdom. And a desire to imitate big brother Jesus who bought you with his blood. Okay? There are... Uh Uh-oh, lost it. Nope. There we go, perfect. There are in America right now 415,129 children in foster care pulled from abusive or neglectful homes. Of those, 107,918 children no longer have parents legally because it was deemed unsafe for them to return home. 107,918 kids are waiting to be adopted in America right now. In Texas, there are 13,238 orphans right now. 
22,392 orphans in foster care age out without a family. About 22,000 every year. This year, 22,392. They got old enough that they aged out. They could not any longer receive care. Seven years, seven months. That's the average age of an orphan in America. I just lost it again. That's okay. 50% percent of adopted orphans are under the age of two. Now, those two statistics together should, should be a, a, a bit shocking. That means that half of all adoptions uh, are, are of babies, but every year there are more and more older kids in the foster care system. Now, 40,000 beds. Okay, this is interesting. I've probably told you this if you've asked me about adoption because Tara and I are kind of in this process. There are 40,000 beds in the foster care system in Texas, which seems like a lot. 40,000. And the average age of, uh, uh, of a, a child in foster care is about two years, right? So every year, about 20,000 beds open up, which again... Seems like a lot. There are 65,000 cases of abuse and neglect of children in, in Texas reported every year, which means that they're only allowed to keep the most serious 20,000 out of their homes, and they have to send 45,000 kids back into potentially abusive homes every year because there are not enough beds. If you've been following the news, you, you might see that Some of these cases are so serious, they've actually put kids in office buildings. There are. Orphans are less likely to be adopted every year they spend without a family. One of every four orphans who age out of foster care do so without a high school diploma. 20% of orphans who age out are immediately homeless. Only 6% of orphans who age out finish a two- or four-year degree, even though they're given free tuition in state schools. 40% of orphans who age out have spent nights homeless. Only 48% of orphans who age out have jobs, and their wages are less than half of their similarly aged peers. 60% of young men who age out are later convicted of a crime. What am I saying? I'm saying that there is a... This world is broken. And, and there are orphans who need help. Have you thought about what growing up would be like without a family? Without a real family. These kids are in foster care, so they're, they're living with families. But when they age out, they step away from the home. And most foster care parents receive another foster uh, child in their place. Okay? Which means that the unofficial connection between your foster parents and yourself starts to dissolve as soon as they leave. So, I had... When I first heard this statistic last year, 
Um, this, the big one that really hit me was the 20 per, 20% of all foster kids who age out are immediately homeless. And the day before, I had been driving by an intersection. There's an 18-year-old, 19-year-old kid there, begging, you know, peddling. I always think, are you able-bodied? I know that's not the right, that's not the right instinct, but I always think, this, this kid's like, he's like 19, he can go get a job somewhere. And then, I had somebody tell me about this situation. And I wonder, if I was in the same place, would I have the tools? If I didn't have a diploma, if I had no parents to guide me, would I have had the tools to know to, to how to get a job, how to interview, how to put together a resume? Anyways, that happened. And then the next week, I went to a neighborhood association meeting. And our neighborhood has a handful of pretty regular homeless folks. And uh, I was standing with this old man, Al. And we, we started talking about homeless people. And I was honestly frustrated. Is almost every time I walk out my door, I see homeless folks. And again, it's not the right instinct. But I, we started chatting about homeless folks, and this guy stops the conversation. And he says, you know, every time I look over there, I think, but for the grace of God, there go I. Man, <laughs> talk about a sweet rebuke. <laughs> Anyways, I think it's, the way we shine the light into this darkness as the hopeful is to broadcast hope to the hopeless. And here, if you remember anything, any one statistic, this is the one I want you to remember. Three to one. It's not caught up yet, but that's okay. Three to one, the ratio of churches to orphans in America. Which means that if one family in every three churches adopted a child from foster care, there would be no more orphans in America. One family in every three churches. Okay. So, what should you do? There's no one answer. Okay? There is not one answer to that question. I think everybody should consider adoption. I had this little phrase under here. It's free. I mean a couple things. And I put an asterisk by it to remember to explain. Like if you ever decided as a family to adopt out of foster care, it's free. Totally free. of kids who are adopted out of foster care receive stipends every month for the rest of their childhood. So, if you were worried about not having enough money, that might help. But that's not what I mean when I say it's free. What I mean is that God owns all the cows on all the hills. Okay? So look, yeah, it it might cost you something. 
But God gives everything you need. Okay? Everything. And if you're worried, if that's what's stopping you, is cost, just pray about it. We have an adoption fund here, the Ramey Fund, just to encourage people to consider adoption. It, that's what got our van. <laughs> when we doubled down and we're like, okay, we're going to do this, um, you guys bought us a van because we only had a Prius and you can't fit a whole lot of kids in a Prius. <laughs> okay. So consider adoption. Look, there are loads of people in this room that you can talk to about what it's like. You can talk to the Brumleys. You can talk to the Sanks. You can talk to a handful of families that have been in this environment, in this world, and know, and will tell you, in all honesty, the great stuff and the hard stuff and the difficult stuff. Adopting means working with the state a lot of the time. Or with agencies that work with the state. And that makes it frustrating. And if you know us, you know that the last six months we just... Ah, why is it so hard? You know? Now, before I just move on from consider adoption, I want to remind you of the lavishing and blood relationship. Adoption is hard. There's not a person I know who, have adopted, who has adopted either a baby... Or a, you know, 10-year-old or whatever who hasn't said it was the most difficult thing they've ever done. Okay? It's tough. Especially if you adopt an older orphan from foster care. It's tough. But look, the lavishing of God's riches and God's grace upon you cost Jesus His blood. And we have been told that if we want to be his disciples, we need to carry his cross. We need to carry that cross. Pick up your cross and follow me. That's what he says. What does that mean? Go die. If you want to be my disciple, get to your execution chair and drag it to the execution room. That's what that means. Now, let's be honest. Not everybody can adopt. In fact, there are some families in this room with so many kids that you cannot, you are not allowed to adopt. The state says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, slow your roll. Okay, not everybody can adopt. So, if after prayer and meditation, you realize that is not the next step for us, there are many ways to serve. The first way, and I think one of my favorite ways, because it has everything to do with the local church, is to serve adopted families. Okay? And not just monetarily. I mean, that's great. (laughs) But it's not everything. One of the... One of the things I've heard from about, I don't know, three or four families that we're really close to, is that there's a lot of peers... There's a lot of support at the front end. And then once everything's settled and you got a a couple kiddos in the house that weren't yours before, people say, hey, great, fantastic. But just like your sanctification is a long haul, just like Christ rescued you with His blood... 
at a moment and then he's working on your heart and withdrawing remaining sin and and pouring out more grace on you every single day, just like his mercy is new every morning until you die and enjoy the rich mercies of God forever. It's a long haul process. I want you to consider how to serve families who have adopted in the long term. And you know what? The best way to do so may be to ask. It may be a good idea just to, to go to a family who you know have, has adopted and to say, how are you doing? How can I help? How can I support you? Okay. Volunteer as a child's advocate. There's this program called CASA. You get a little bit of training, like 30 hours of training. And then you step into a child's life as his advocate. Foster care is 437, I think that was the number, 437,000 orphans. They live in a home, in a bed that somebody has opened up, right? And they have foster parents. And then they have a guardian who's their CPS worker. And then they have an agency. And that agency is representing them to to families who might be interested in adoption. And then they have a doctor. And they have a therapist. And they have, oh man, I'm forgetting like five or six other connections. Okay, These kids kind of operate in this weird world where they're going and seeing people they barely know all the time. Uh, An advocate gets to know them. And gets to know everybody in their social circle. And makes connections and explains to these people who are all dealing with a thousand other kids. Hey, this is what this kid's got going on. Now, I know that principle. I know that you want to expel this child. But let me just, let's back up. And let me tell you how many foster homes he's been in in the last two years. Let me tell you what his therapist says. And, and doctor, I know you want to prescribe this medicine, but let's just step back and see if this is just a genuine reaction to a relatively or super painful moment in this kid's life. Okay? The advocate operates in the same way, almost, as the spirit operates. Our helper. Right? The spirit helps us. Jesus Jesus advocates. He intercedes for us before the throne room. In the same way, you get to know this kid. You love this kid to death. You follow him from the moment he's in until the moment he's out. And you advocate for that kid. Just consider it. Tara has more information if you want to look into CASA. Okay. Visit... We didn't... We're a little behind, but that's okay. Visit... Orphans in their distress. Now, I chose those words because I wanted you to think about James. What does true religion look like? Is true religion visiting orphans and widows in their distress and remaining unstained from the world? That is true religion, right? What does it look like to visit orphans in their distress? Well, You just go visit them. (laughs) There's a couple different ways you can do it, right? 
you have to get, everybody needs a background check to visit foster kids. You get a background check, you might have to go through one or two hours of training. But once you do so, you can babysit for family. Like, these foster families are exhausted across the board, okay? You can say, hey, let me watch your kids for a couple hours. Let me watch your kids. You go get some Dairy Queen, right? You can, it's called respite care. Um, we're going to plead with some of you guys to do it because the only people, once we, once we finalize our adoption, the only people who can provide respite or who can babysit are respite caregivers. It, it takes a little bit of time, but um, man, what a, what a beautiful demonstration of love. Once you're licensed, you can also go visit the orphanages. Schedule some time just to hang out with these kids. We actually do have orphanages here in town. Homes for kids, 30, 40 kids. There are, there's an orphanage in town in Wedgwood. It's kids that will never be adopted. They're not even talking about adoption because these kids have pretty major behavioral issues. Okay? Man, go, go spend time with them. It'll be painful, I'm sure. Gosh, but what, what a way to embody the love of Christ. Okay. Foster. This is the last one we're going to talk about. Foster means opening your home up. It means going through a whole lot of really annoying training. It means spending yourself on a kid that probably won't stay at your house. I think fostering in many ways is more difficult, more taxing, even than some adoptions. Because... Man, like, you could, you could be getting anybody, and you have no idea how long they're staying. You're just pouring yourself out. If you have a room in your house, maybe you're not in the right life stage to adopt, but if you have a room in your house that can fit a bed and a dresser, you can foster and all of a sudden, one less of that 45000 doesn't have to go back to an abusive home. How beautiful is that? I, I'm not pretending that it's not hard. Blood and lavishing. You've got to remember. Okay, now we do have a little less than 10 minutes. I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you guys to huddle together and just pray, Okay? I'm going to give you a few ideas of what to pray about. I'd love it if care group leaders, I'll give you this link, if you could go over these and maybe pray about this on Wednesday. Pray that you'd get the gospel. The gospel as an adoption story. And if you kept reading this passage, that's what Paul's doing. He's pivoting into, this is how you understand, this is how you ought to understand your rescue. Okay? Pray for the joy of your salvation. The joy of your salvation is what drives the obedience of faith. You can't white-knuckle obedience. You can't white-knuckle this radical, painful obedience. You can't. But if you have joy, like transcending joy that that gazes upon the new kingdom, the new heavens and the new earth, that's what drives obedience. So pray for joy. And ask the Lord to understand your purpose. 
Which, by the way, is outlined if you just keep reading in Ephesians. Two more things. I don't think you'll be able to read these. From James 1.27, ask God to give you eyes to see the orphans in their distress. Ask God to give you wisdom to know how to serve them. And ask God to give you faith and hope to faithfully care for them. And then one more. Ask God to give you eyes to see the burdens. Ask God to give you wisdom to carry the burdens. And ask God to give you the grace to remain steadfast in service. Because the carrying of another's burdens is the fulfilling of the law of Christ. So, team up and pray together. And somebody will come up here and close us out here in about five or six minutes.